This is session number two, then, of Faith Towards God. If you can turn to Romans 10, whether I'll get there or not is another issue, but I'm going to begin uh, speaking right off the top of my outlines here. I'm going to just read. The very top, what I said is, faith has a direction, which is toward God. Now, what I've said here on my outline, that what, when we begin to teach on what I believe real faith is, first of all, like I said, I want to share a little bit of what faith isn't. The faith that the Bible teaches is not humanistic potential or mind science principles or mind projection or even possibility thinking. That's not the faith that the Word of God preaches. That is what I call or term a soulish type of faith that believes in the power of the positive. And what we need to do is make a distinction between that which is of the soul and that which is of the spirit. And what I mean by that is in most churches, you find that most churches are filled with people who, and I, I have to be careful even as I begin, this is not an indictment against people, this is just an objective observation, okay? That many of us, not, this is not just my thoughts, this is a lot of us, that most churches are full of what we call soulish Christians who are taught soulish messages. Now what I mean by that, they're messages that titillate or speak to the soul of people as opposed to educate their spirit. Now remember the Bible, the basics, it says, like in Thessalonians, it says, Paul prayed, he said, I pray that God would sanctify, what sanctify mean? To set apart as holy, to consecrate. He said, I pray God that he would sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. That he would sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-Y, spirit, soul, and body. So let's go back to the basics. Remember that you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. So often in old Christian terms, when we'd say like soul winners, really we meant spirit winners because a soul is something that has to be renewed. Even the Greek word for soul, remember, is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O. And if you look up the word in W.E. Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words, it will literally say, quote, the definition of sozo is, quote, the sentient, S-E-N-T-I-E-N-T, -E -E the sentient element of man, the seat of the mind, will, and the emotions. That's the soul. I'll, I'll say it again. If you've got a W. Vines dictionary, you can, it's like a good lexicon type issue you can read. But it says the definition of soul is, quote, the sentient element of man. Sentient, as in senses. The seat, S-E-A-T, the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. See, everything's progressive in God. Uh, we, like I said, so we have, so what we're going to talk about is the faith that comes from the spirit of man, not soulish faith. You see, because there's really everything God does is in threes. See, when you get born again, let me throw that out real quickly, just again to rehearse it. Um, why you need to understand the difference between the soul and the spirit. As, uh, when you get born again, that first experience, when you make the decision to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's the son of God, that he was born of a virgin, and that he lived the sinless life, that he died for you, and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. When that choice, when something sparks and you make that choice, you, you make that choice in here, don't you? Not here. Don't you? And you see, because all faith proceeds from the heart. No, there's no such thing as faith in the head. That's, that's just, that's logic. We're not talking about logic, but this is why soulish faith does not produce. But that's why the Bible says when you believe, it says if you believe with the heart, you know, that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth. Did you know that there's not one scripture in the Bible anywhere that says believe with your head anywhere? Not one, not one. You can't find it, not one. Because the heart is the chamber. We're not talking about the blood pump. The heart, the spirit of man, is what you're called to believe with. That's why 
a lot of our journey is taken up with differentiating between this hunk of meat between our ears that needs to be renewed and the real man, the hidden man of the heart, the inner man here. But anyhow, when you're born again, what you really experience is what the Bible calls regeneration. God takes the stony heart out of you and puts a heart of flesh within you, upon which he would prefer that you would have the commandments of the Lord written upon those fleshly tablets, right? But you're regenerated. That's what happens when you're born again. Regeneration is what the Bible teaches takes place. A brand new spirit comes in you. You all know that your head didn't change instantly. Your body didn't change instantly. Would that they both had, but they didn't, did they? Did they? No. If you're honest, you still thought a lot the same, and you still, to this day, a lot of you think like you used to think, which is what we're trying to change. And, you know, your body still looks as blessed as it looks today. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, so when you're born again, what happens is something happens on the inside, right? That heart of stone is taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 11 or Luke 14, he says, now real conversion, see often, again, I don't want to fight about semantics of words, but conversion, Jesus said, if you will hear and understand, you will be converted and I will be able to heal you. Conversion is a process when you make the decision to set yourself under the teachings of Christ and allow your thinking to be changed. You actually allow your mind to be renewed. And the real, what biblical conversion is, is not what we just think when we get somebody saved on the streets. But again, I'm not going to argue about it. I'm just saying if we really want to get accurate. Conversion, you're converted when you begin to think different. Okay? When you're born again, you're regenerated. But converts to Christ are not just people that got saved if we wanted to get really accurate. But you understand why we're not going to argue in a church whether or not, well, he's not a convert and he is. You know, you know what I mean. But conversion, what God, what the Bible, what biblical conversion is, is when you have made the decision to, well, the word understand means to, quote, fully comprehend the character, the nature, and the functioning of so in other words, when you submit yourself to teaching, when you submit yourself to the Word of God, when you submit yourself to the tutorage of the Holy Spirit, He then begins to teach and to train you, and you'll be converted in the way you think, and then He can heal you. If you're not converted in the way you think, you may experience healing, but you'll not live in health. Things like that. And then there's discipleship. So you go from regeneration to conversion to discipleship. And actually, it's Luke 14 there, sorry, where Jesus said, except you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, yea, your own life, you cannot be my disciple. It's pretty rough. But the word hate there in the Greek, the word means relative disregard. What that speaks to is that to become a disciple, what's the root word of disciple? Discipline. A disciplined one to this stuff, it says that you will find yourself in a place where your love for God is so strong that it makes the love you have for your own husband or wife look like hate by comparison. But remember, lest people go crazy with that statement, that if you love God that much, you'll be the best husband or wife on the earth. Because God never takes from, He only adds to. Hallelujah. You understand? Okay. So... We're going to talk about, again, the difference between soulish faith, just the difference between believing in a principle as opposed to having, again, connection with God himself and therefore beginning to experience faith born of the human spirit. So faith towards God is what we're talking about. This is not faith in yourself. It's not faith in the principle of believing. Now, this is where we're going to just 
hopefully explain something real simple about how things happened wrong when we first started teaching the faith message. We're talking about not faith in yourself or, the or faith in the principle of believing or in projecting some positive mental image of something. We're talking about faith in God, right? Not faith in a principle that if you work it will produce something, but faith in the God behind it. The power of the positive that comes from the soul realm begins to cultivate an image that you can do anything. I'm going to say it again. The power of the positive that comes from the soulish realm begins to cultivate an image that you can do anything. That all things are possible with you. You begin very subtly, but you begin to develop a confidence in the principle of believing as opposed to confidence in God himself. You begin to, quote, believe it so hard that you can get what you want when you want it just by simply believing it. In other words, when we first taught the principles of faith, which are there, you see, you have to teach them. But the thing, what thing is people began to have faith in the fact that I'm doing the right thing as opposed to faith in God who gave us the thing to do. It's subtle, but you have to understand. They're so close, it's hard to differentiate. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, it says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, it says dividing even to the penetrating of the soul and the spirit. Remember? The soul and the spirit. It says it'll divide between the soul and the spirit. So there's proof right there that the soul and the spirit are two different issues. But they are so closely together. This is why, like, soulish faith and spiritual faith can be so close. You have to work with this stuff for a long time. To, in all honesty, before you begin to differentiate, but they are different. And yet they work together to a degree, but you won't have the real produce that God wants until you get free from just having faith in the principle and getting faith in God. And you say, well, maybe I don't do that. I don't do that. Well, we'll, we'll, like, we'll find out. You know, this is, we hold ourselves up to the mirror of God's word and we see what we're doing. That's all we're doing here today. So anyhow, we, we have to watch the difference between the two because they're very close. F.F., one of the best books, um, and classic in Christianity, is called Christ the Healer by F.F. F. Bosworth. Has anybody ever read that? Yeah. Christ the Healer, F.F. F. Bosworth, is a, one of the prime books that we had to read in the beginning. And Bosworth, in one of the chapters there, he said that when he spoke about something like this, he said the greatest enemy to faith, to biblical faith, is something that looks like faith, smells like faith, appears to be faith, but is not faith. And he said what this enemy is, what he called is this, mental assent. He said to mentally assent to the fact that the word is true. In other words, to say mentally, well, I know that's true because it's here, but to not have that same explosive expression of this alive in your spirit. In other words, cerebrally, you've accepted a teaching but it hasn't cut your spirit to the point that you're marked by the truth. You're just embracing a teaching. This is where I was wrong for so long. I mean, and you, know, and you, but you know, it's not that you can fault yourself or even myself or anybody else, because you have to start somewhere, right? You know, don't you? So I don't, so let's not anybody get into condemnation, but I'm saying we do need to understand there's something that looks like faith, but it isn't faith. It sounds like it, but it isn't. It's called mental ascent. And see, what we have, again, like I said, is churches full of soulish Christians who cerebrally, you know what I mean by that, have accepted a teaching. And they're not really 
began to connect to the Christ behind the teaching. And I'm just saying you have to work towards that. The Bible says you have to labor to enter into that rest. Okay? It sounds like a contradiction of terms, but you do. Anyhow. So again, this soulish faith is a situation where people begin, they, they think that, well, you know, this is, this is a picture of somebody in faith. I'm going to believe God now. You ready? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, that's believing God. In other words, you're going to bear down and believe. That's not the faith that we're talking about that the Bible teaches. I believe I'm healed. 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 You know, anyhow, you begin to believe it so hard that you can get what you want when you want it just by simply believing. We're not talking about concentrating on something so hard and so long that it comes into existence. You see, you can't create a BB. Give me a break. I didn't say baby, I said BB. I don't know, maybe they don't even know what a BB is over here. The little thing that you shoot with an air rifle, a little BB. Oh, well. That messed that up. We're not talking about something, on, we're not talking about concentrating on something so hard and so long that it comes into existence. That teaching will promote that you can just believe God to do anything that you want Him to do and that everything you can believe is going to happen. In other words, it's belief in belief. Our faith is towards someone. The Bible, in Hebrews 6, when it says that, it says this basic foundation stone of our faith is faith toward God. And I want to say it over and over again. Faith has to be a source before it can be a force. It can be a force. It's absolutely a force. See, there's different aspects of faith. Remember, I, I've got to, you know, and there's a gift of the Spirit called faith, isn't there? But we're not talking about a gift of the Spirit. We're not talking about right now the gift of the Spirit that's called faith. The gift of faith. The gift of faith is a supernatural occurrence that happens as the Spirit of God wills. You cannot turn any of the gifts of the Spirit on when you want to. That faith is something that happens normally in times of tragedy or crisis or what have you, like the stories that we know of, of uh, you know, a 12-year-old boy whose father is driving a tractor in an Iowa cornfield. This is the real truth. And, you know, the tractor hits a rock and goes, falls over and begins, and it falls on top of his dad. And his 12-year-old boy is on the little wagon inside. He runs, 12-year-old boy, it's about four foot nine. He runs across the field, puts his arm underneath this thing and lifts the tractor up off his dad. Well, that was supernatural. That was something, because a gift of faith is something like any of them. It's a spontaneous. Everything that, when it's a gift of the Spirit, the word is spontaneity. Spontaneous is what you have to see. It says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The word manifestation is phaneros. It means the flashing forth. And when God's Spirit does something, it's a flash. It happens so quick, you don't think about it. You just move before you think. Now, that's something, that's just a little free teaching there about the gift of faith, all right? That's a gift of faith. I'm talking about the faith that every single one of us have that is something that can grow and develop, where it says in Romans later that to every man has been given the measure of faith. The measure of faith. Every single one of us have been given the measure of faith. Faith is like a muscle. Faith is something that can develop and grow and become stronger and stronger and stronger. But just like when you work in a gym, you know, you only, your faith only develops when you put it against some opposite resistance. There has to be something in place to resist for that muscle to grow. So if life is just a bowl of cherries, you know, you, it's doubtful that you're going to have the opportunity to have much strong faith. That's why you shouldn't faint when trials come. I always like what it says in Peter. First Peter says, why do you think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that have come to try your faith? 
You know, and you meet Christians all the time that say, I don't know why this trial. I don't know why I'm having these trials. And I look at them and say, well, it's probably because you're a Christian. <laughs> you know, and because we're, if, we're, if we're honest, you know, why is this happening? And he said, I didn't say, you know, how many of you know I didn't write the Bible? You know, you know right? <laughs> he said, why do you think it's strange concerning trials? As if something foreign to your vocation has happened to you, is how it reads in the Greek. I see, when you begin to understand more of the Bible, it takes the panic syndrome away. My spiritual dad, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, one of my spiritual fathers, but Dr. Cole, Dr. Ed Cole, he wrote a little book called Entering Crisis and Leaving. And he talks about how crisis is normal to life, that how everything about life is about crisis. And he puts it this way, he said, see, the thing that people need to understand is every person in this room has either just come out of a crisis or you're in a crisis or guess what, you're about to enter into one. Listen, because crisis is normal to life. So see, the thing about being in this world, you have to get to the point where you don't panic. In other words, that's why all the teachings I quoted, the first, Romans 5, experience, you know, faith work of hope, I mean, faith work of experience, experience work of hope. And hope make it not a shame because once you've gone through something, you've got the experience to look back to, at what you happened, happened before and you, you take that experience into today's situation. You go, well, just like then, I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I got out of that. I'll get out of this because the love of God's been shed abroad in my heart and God's with me and he's never left me. He's Emmanuel. So Amen. whatever, this hurts. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'll come out of this. In other words, the panic leaves and you see fear hath torment. And this is the issue. This is why faith is the opposite of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. They both attract. And see, most people live their lives in some form of fear, and we have to get people in to understand the love of God because it's only love that gets you delivered from the fear. And you have to be delivered of fear so that you can move in faith and da 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 da, -da. But we're all attacked by this every day. Isaiah, Paul, God prophesied through Isaiah and said, this stuff, fear will surely gather together. It'll surely come nigh, but it's not from me. He said, Behold, I know how to handle the oppressor that oppresses. I know how to handle the smith that burns the fire, and so on. He goes on through this whole thing. So the issue is that, you see, in Christianity, it doesn't mean we're exempt from trials. To say the least, in fact, it's just the opposite. Once you've left Satan's kingdom and you come into this, you will be more aggressively tested. That is, if you've made a decision to do something for God, if you could care less, you won't be tested that much. But if you make a decision to do something, I guarantee you, you will be more aggressively come against but you begin to learn that's just part of the journey, so you don't panic. I said you don't panic. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't panic. <laughs> that's right, I just don't panic. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, I hear you. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. I can see we touched something there. Anyhow, but, but anyhow, do you see where, where we're going? You see, this is, the Bible says in Isaiah, it talks about that this peace and righteousness shall be the stability of your times. Remember all these things you see? When you have a revelation of right standing with God, what we talked about last night, the grace of God that's here wherein I stand, all these things, it produces a stability. It doesn't mean that you don't get rocked sometimes. I've had things rock my world, do you know what I mean? But see, something else is working bigger. I mean, I just had a thing... 
you know, happened to me, what was it, four weeks ago, five weeks ago when I was in the States. I was over there and we, I have a, I have a knee that just, I can't even stand to worship sometimes that long because my knee is something I've lost, all the cartilage in it or whatever, and it begins to ache and hurt and starts to swell. And I have two doctor friends in my hometown in California, in Bakersfield, who one, this is Julie, if she was here, she'd laugh. He's a psychiatrist and she's an eye surgeon. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Julie, my wife says, God so loves you, he brought you your own personal psychiatrist because you need one so much. <laughs> But Fred and Sue are good friends of ours, real strong intercessors. They got baptized in the Holy Ghost at our prayer summit, our very first prayer summit. So God just knit our hearts and they happened. Anyhow, Fred knew that, you know, we didn't, over, we didn't have any health insurance and what have you. And, uh, you know, we're not rich. Although, like I said last hour, never mind. But what I'm trying to say is he said he wanted to be a blessing to me. And basically he said, Rod, he said, you know, I want you to see what's wrong with your knee. I want you to take care of it. He said, uh, Sue and I, we, we, we want to just pay for you to have uh, pay for health insurance for a year in America because it's not free over there, you know, it's called money. And so they paid for me to have health insurance, which was a real blessing. And they said, you know, just so go. So anyhow, I went to this place and you know, like the first time you go to a doctor, they want to do a whole blood workup and all this kind of stuff. It's the first time they see him. So I go there to have my knee x-rayed, but they do all this blood workup. And this doctor says, uh, he said, you're amazing. He said, you know, he said, your heart is as strong as a bull. He said, you've got the, he said, your cholesterol is perfect. And he said, because of your weight, he said, that blows my mind. Then he said something else I won't say because it would be embarrassing. I didn't know it was embarrassing until Julie said it's embarrassing. They say, well, where else I'm healthy, so I just won't say anything. <laughs> and... He said, however, he said, uh, your blood platelets are quite low. He said, I just want to, can you come back and take another, take another blood test in another week to 10 days? He said, because your blood platelets are low. He said, a lot of times people have blood platelets that are low, but he said, let's just check them. They were at 60,000. I don't even know what normal is. So I came back a week later and he took another blood test. And he said, your platelets are down to 50,000. He said, just, I just want, to, want you to go see a specialist. Just go see another doctor. He said, just, just, just make sure. He said, you're fine, but let's make sure. So I have to wait and I go to this other doctor in this place in California. And of course I walk in, I didn't know where I was going, you know. And I walked into this and of course it says hematology and oncology. It's a cancer specialist and this guy his name is Ahmad Rizbud. He is the top blood specialist in the whole Western United States, I come to find out, I found out later, an Indian man. <laughs> and I walk in this place, and I'm telling you, you know, my spirit recoiled because I walked into this place, and when they walked me in there to take this, he said he's going to take another blood test. He said, I just want to take another blood test. He said, sometimes green top, red tops, these little vials they put your blood in, they'll have a different chemical reaction, da 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 da. And, but I'm sitting here and I'm looking and there's four of these kind of chairs, like lounge chairs, and there are four people that are just undergone chemo and their wives or husband are sitting with them and they're just, in other words, it's like, you know, it, my, I mean, I walked into this cancer situation and I've been to a lot of hospitals, you know, where I've ministered to people. But I mean, I looked at this and my spirit went, mm -hmm. you know, this is not what I'm here for, you know what I mean? And he said, well, and he went to tell me, he said, well, I don't want to, he, the guy walks up to me and says, I don't want to poke you, he said, unless I need to. And I said, what do you mean poke me? And he said, well, he said, we'll just take another blood test. But he said, if it's low, he said, I'll have to do a, a bone marrow biopsy. And he said, they're not all that pleasant. And I said, well, that doesn't sound pleasant to me either. You know? <laughs> but anyhow, he took my blood and he said, your blood's all the way down to 33. He, he, I went home because Anna, 
was there in memory, called up at four o'clock, and I mean, it shook my world. She drove me there, he said, I want you here right now to have, he said, this done, I want to do a bone marrow biopsy. You can ask my daughter, I had some tears in my eyes, and I didn't say a word all the way to that doctor's office, because it shook me. I didn't want to have a bone marrow biopsy, because I was stupid enough during the afternoon to go up on the internet and see what it was. <laughs> you know. So I go into this place, and Anna drops me off, and I go in, and I lay down on my stomach, and you know, it's where they take this needle, and they have to put it through and inside your pelvic bone, into the bone to pull marrow out of your bone, to check and see. And I mean, I, I mean, you know, there, have any of you had it? Yeah. There's okay, there's people here that have had it. Well, I'm sitting on this thing, and I'm a big dude, and they deaden it as much as they can, but I mean, you know, it's like all of a sudden, and there's like this hammer and this thing in through your bone, and you're going, and you know, I thought, I thought that was it, you know, and then in his best Indian accent, you know, I'm laying on my stomach like this, holding on, and he goes, okay, now hold on. And I thought, hold on now? What, what, what was I just doing, you know? And boy, when he pulled and began to suck that marrow, I mean, I mean, I did have a good time speaking in tongues right then. I did. I mean, just like fire. You know, I don't want to go through it. But I mean, it's true. I mean, like, like the joke says, I mean, my fingerprints are in that steel gurney. But anyhow, it takes about 30 minutes. It's done. And, you know, and they're holding pressure on you because of the, they had to go so deep and all this kind of stuff into your bone. And then as I got up, he'd walked out, and the nurse was there. And as I... You know how something just happens so quick? I, I just got up, you know, and I pulled my trousers on, and I just kind of just stepped up off the thing, pulled my trousers, and went to put my, and as I put my, went, like to put my belt together, I kind of leaned forward, and he walked around this door, and just like doctors do, matter of fact, he said, well, Mr. Anderson, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, this all happened in a split second. He said, well, he said, no, well, he said, we'll send this to Los Angeles to see whether or not, he said, it's uh, leukemia or bone cancer. And I mean, my spirit, I didn't, think I didn't, I mean, it just roared inside my spirit. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I do not have cancer. This is not my destiny. I mean, it just screamed inside my spirit, you know, and I just looked at him and said, no, <laughs> thank you very much, but no, and left. Well, all I'm trying to get at is, you know, that shook my world, but I hope it doesn't sound pompous, but I mean, you know, I have I put this word in my spirit for years. Now, this is not patting me on the back. I'm trying to, you, you have to understand, our only defense is God's word, is the truth that we've chosen to believe. And I mean, you know, and they said that, and Julie had to fly back to England, they said they'd know in five days, and six days went by, and seven days went by, and eight days went by. And, and I mean, my soul, but I'm telling you, those five or six days, I just thrust myself into worship. I sat at a keyboard, Roland knows I can't play, and I, I went three notes, and I just worshiped, and I just sung to God. I took these three notes, and I just sang to God. I just sang to God, and I mean, just sang to God, and I just said, Father, my life is in your hands, but I said, I've got too much to do. This is not me. This is not my destiny, and they did, you know, and then finally he called back, and what, well, Mr. Anderson? He said, you're 100% cancer-free. You have no cancer. He said, you're just some kind of thing which causes something, whatever. But I'm just saying, I, I know what it is to get shaken, but I've had to train myself not to live in a state of panic, because panic is fear, and fear only attracts that which you don't want. 
you have to have a rock solid understanding that God's grace is there for you, that you're never alone, that you can break the power of this stuff. It doesn't, don't receive it. Remember what I said the first time? You are receivers. And see, when those bad reports, it's like Psalm 112 said, David said, my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. I will not be afraid of evil reports. My heart is established, trusting in your word. And you've got to have an, an established heart because the bad reports will come. And, you know, we can go all the way back to numbers now and go through all of that. Maybe we'll get there some other time. But the issue is, I'm just saying, you see, you've got to be delivered from the panic. I said you have to be delivered from the panic. See, your soul, my soul, all our souls will get rocked, as they say, knocked for six over here. But you have to have something else that speaks louder to you than what a doctor says or what a, a bank says or whatever, whatever says. It's just that, see, there are voices that speak. And you have to choose which voice is going to be louder to you because faith comes by hearing. And trust me, fear comes by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Fear cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the world. And see, we've got to have this stuff deep in here. I'm telling you, you know, I could tell you story after story. You know, I've, you know, they say you need to practice what you preach, but God told me a long time ago, you need to preach what you practice. And I mean, what I'm trying to share with you is stuff that's been woven in and out of my life for years. I've had to put this to the test. I really have. I'm not trying to impress you. I could give a you know, whatever, if I impress you or not, I want people free. But there's a fight involved in this. You do have to fight the good fight of faith. I mean, it's a fight. Trust me, when hell slaps you in the face with this stuff, don't tell me you just sit back and go, wonderful. No, no, I mean, so see, this is why I want you to have that freedom too. I don't, don't feel bad about the shock that comes and the fear that comes. Just don't let it stay. So you remember, like I said, you can't keep stuff from coming, but you can keep it from staying. Do you understand? But don't receive, receive, receive. Don't allow the stuff to just be received in your spirit and to the point that it lodges and begins to take root. See, it's a lot easier. England is known for their gardening. It's a lot easier to deal with weeds when they're tiny. Well, it is. I need to move on. I'm sorry. Our faith is towards someone, not something. Our faith has a direction locked into someone, not locked into a principle of the positive or power of believing. We're talking about faith that's born of the spirit of man that reaches out to God. Our faith is in a person, not in a doctrine. It is not visualizing something into existence. What we are believing is that God will do what he said he will do. Not that we'll just get whatever we want whenever we want it. In other words, I'm not trying to get God to do something for me through this principle of faith. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. Faith is not trying to get God to do something through this principle of faith in Mark 11 and all these chapters. The chapters. There's a difference between faith as a power or a force and faith as a power and a source towards God. Now, this may sound harsh, what I wrote in the bottom of this, but this is how I wrote, I wrote this like 15 years ago, but no word from God, no faith. Now, remember, I'm not talking about the gift of the Spirit, the Spirit, that faith. I'm talking about faith that's developed. I'm talking about this principle of faith that we've been taught for years that kind of got off skewed. The fact of the matter is, faith is believing that what God said he'd do, he'd do. But the key is, what did God say? 
So therefore I say, if there's no word from God, there's no capacity for faith. So the question always is with people, do you have a word from God about this, or are you just hoping? Um, now, just bear with me. Abraham had faith because he had a word from God. And he was fully persuaded, it says in Romans 4, that what God had promised. Did you hear that? He was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. So our whole life is surrounded by this again. Do you know what God has promised? In other words, have you dug it for yourself? Let me tell you something. I said it, I think, the first session. You have to make, I, God said this to me years ago, whose faith are you living on? See, and I was living on the faith of all of my teachers because I was in a situation, I was taught, listen, by some of the best in the world. I was honored of God. I mean it seriously, I was honored of God. I was sitting under some of the finest Bible teachers and expositors in the world. I sat under them five days a week, four hours a day. And I would see and watch, and I don't mean just the exposition, the word. I worked with the teams where I watched, I was there. I'm not kidding. I mean, I was there. I watched them come off the gurneys. I watched the bones pop, crack, and snap in people in wheelchairs and come out. I watched it. I was there. All the hair standing straight up off my head, you know. I don't mean go and be healed. I mean crack, pop, snap, and you're going, you know, and just, and you just <gasps> takes your breath away, power of God stuff. You know what I mean? And so I was honored by God to be around some guys that had some real stuff. I mean, they knew God. They actually knew him. They didn't know about him. They didn't just know a bunch of his doctrine. They'd been with him. That's what ushered me into a life of prayer because I had this natural tendency to be able to remember a scripture. I didn't plan on it. I just did. You know, God, had whatever he took, the gift that he put in me was something that with the gift came the capacity to remember scripture. But, you know, don't you understand, you can quote the whole Bible, and that doesn't mean zip. Because the only scripture you believe is the one you obey. You know what I mean? So it's not quoting a bunch of verses. And I had this natural capacity to be able to retain scripture. But I didn't have what they had. And what they had was a deep, intimate prayer life that birthed this faith that I'm talking about. So that when they heard him, they called upon somebody who was there. They weren't having faith in, okay, if I say this five times, it works. No, they learned, these guys were led. This woman, Vicki, was led by the Spirit of God. I mean, she, you know, she, and a lot of things, oh, I don't want to go there. I just mean, were, you know, they would pray when they had the unction to. They didn't, and people would go away misunderstanding sometimes, but they wouldn't work unless that anointing was there because otherwise they knew it would be in themselves and their own strength. And they had to understand some things. And these old timers, man, knew some things. And so much of it, I think, we didn't write down in those days and, we let a lot of things slip, but glory to God, we're capturing it afresh. We are, because God's no respecter of persons, and he's no respecter of times or ages. What he did once, he'll do again. I said, what he did once, he'll do again. In fact, he's already doing it. But I just want you to know that it's for whosoever, and every one of you in this room is a whosoever. I mean, really, but see, God wants you baptized in this kind of faith. He wants you to know it's there for you. Just reach out and begin to take it, ask for it, cry out for it, appropriate it. Father, I'm going to hide myself. There's no, greater, there's no greater importance in my life than knowing your scriptures and being with you and allowing. You cannot spend time alone with God and not get some of God off on you. You know, we define prayer in a million different ways, but that's the way I just shared. 
It's just good to be with God. <laughs> it's good to hang with God because a bit of him gets on you. Just a bit, maybe, but hey, just a bit of God's cool. It is. And there's a boldness that comes. You just begin to believe that what he said, he'll do. And you're with him and you begin to hear from him. And then you go and do. In other words, that's where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. As Paul said in Acts 27, 25, and there's a thousand scriptures that speak like this. He said, wherefore, sirs, when he was on the ship that they thought was going to sink, he said, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. So in other words, he'd been told that he was going to make the trip, he's going to get there, so whatever was happening with the storm, he said, well, whatever, okay, I'm not denying the storm, but God said I'm going to the other side. So evidently, he's got a plan for the storm and for us. So I believe God that what he said, he'll perform. I put down this quote because these are things, and again, I hope this doesn't offend anybody because of the way I wrote this 15 years ago, but, you know, because of all the people we've dealt with who thought they were in faith, I've had, like, women come up to me, you know, that are pregnant. Well, I'm believing God we're going to have a little boy. And I'd say to them, do you have a word from God on that? And they say, oh, no, I'm just believing God. Now, what I put down here is that's the power of the mental realm now listen to me, I'm believing, hear the words, I'm believing God. See, you've got faith in a principle. The Bible says, we who have, we which have believed enter into rest. See, if, let me put it this way, if you're believing, you've never believed yet. Did you hear that? But it's part of our Christian parlance now, isn't it? I'm believing God. How are you doing? Well, I'm believing God. Well, good for you. I'm believing God. Well, I'm, well you're pregnant. Hurry, wonderful. What would you like, a boy or a girl? Well, I'm believing God for a boy. And it sounds nice, and we say thank you, but all that, well, did God tell you it's a boy? No, but I'm believing God for a boy. In other words, I'm going to take faith and try to change the DNA or the... What's already in my womb? I'm going to turn this into a boy. Boy, 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 boy. You know, but see this, it sounds similar, but I'm believing God. Well, did God tell you you're going to have a boy? Well, no, but I'm just going to engineer this along and I'm going to produce one. Let me tell you, if that seed that went into your womb says boy, it's a boy. Don't try to make it a girl. Please, we have enough men already who think they're women. We have enough women who think they're men. What we need today is men who know they're men. And we need women who know they're women and, and that, that, that there is a difference. Viva la difference. Um, having so much fun here, I could just, I don't know what. <laughs> no, that's the power of the mental realm of the positive. She was operating in the power of the positive concept called belief. Now, is that really faith toward God or is that faith in believing? You don't have faith, any faith, if you don't have a word from God. Faith comes when God speaks to you. You believe you're healed because God says you're healed. You believe you're saved because God says you're saved. 
How do you know you're saved? Well, I just believing. I'm just believing I'm saved. I put down here, you better know that you're saved. You better know that what the Word of God says about your salvation. You must stay in the Word. The moment you go away from the Word, you enter into the mental realm of believing to where you just believe it because you believe it. No, we believe God will do what He says He will do because He says He will do it. This is why you have to wrap this message up with so many others. You need to be a man or a woman of prayer, and you must, I said you must, I said you must be a student of the Word. Do you hear me? You can't rely on another man's teaching. You can't remind, you, your life will not continue because of my study. Do you hear me? That's why we are the most responsible people on earth, because every one of us have Bibles. We're in a free land where people can read the Bible any day they want any day they want. You have the life of God himself right here. Now, maybe somebody else has pic pictured it to you as, again, just something you do on Sundays, but that's what you have to be delivered from. Listen, Jesus, his intention is that you have life and have it more abundantly to the full till it overflows. Why do you think Mark 4 is in there? Why do you think he said that when the word comes, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. Because don't you understand, it's not, he's not after you. He's after your knowledge of the word. He's after your knowledge of the truth. Because if he can get the word from you, you're as good as dead anyhow. You'll just be another trophy to him. You'll be somebody who names Christ and lives like the devil. And doesn't attract anybody to Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that to put you into condemnation. But I am here because I want to shock us into some, hey, let's go for the gusto. You know, <laughs> Let's go for all that God's given us. Let's, let's change. You know, like they say, change isn't change until it's change. We have people come in the church all the time, and I'll preach a message and go, boy, Rod, you really challenged me. And I'll say, I don't want to challenge you. I want to kill you. <laughs> you know, I want to rip unbelief out of your spirit and just get it out of the way, and I want you to be changed, not challenged. I want you to think different. I want you to get so mad at me that you go and study to prove me wrong. I've made you mad several times, haven't I, Paul? Just now. Oh, well, anyhow, the, you must stay in the Word. Romans 4.21, again, is where Abraham said, and being fully persuaded that what he'd promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham, he believed what God had promised. Be fully persuaded that what God had promised, he'll perform. Now, this is why, again, you do, you have to study the Word to find out what the promises are. They say, I've never counted them all, but they say there are some 7,700 promises in the Bible. But let me just read a couple of scriptures that are on here. Numbers 23, verse 19 and 20 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. See, God said some things that will never be reversed unless your thinking allows them to be reversed. Now, you know, I get, I know I have to fight. Every single time I speak, I quote the scripture, probably every tape, every video that's ever been done. People think I'm so repetitive, but I can't help it. I'm going to, I heard one, like one of my teachers said, that this guy taught the same message for 18 years, one of my spiritual fathers, and people always ask him, he said, well, how come you keep preaching that same message? And he looked back at him and said, because you ain't got it yet. <laughs> oh, well. But I always quote the scripture out of Thessalonians it's in, uh, over and over again, but I want you to hear it for, for, just reserve it for the right of those that, you know, that are here for the first time. 
Thessalonians is a kingdom dynamic that's very strong. God's word says, Paul said there, that he said, when people do not receive the love of the truth. In other words, when truth comes and they don't embrace it and love it. It says, when people do not receive the love of the truth, it says that a spirit of delusion comes. A spirit of delusion comes that they might believe a lie and be damned for it who had pleasure in unrighteousness as opposed to righteousness. And what I teach over and over and over about that again is this, that you see, the scripture says you can believe a lie. And again, if you believe a lie, it's truth to you. And you will live your life, you will live your life by what you've accepted as a correct definition. So, illustration, example, if you go to a church that says over and over again, it's not God's will to heal. That's a lie. But if you hear it enough, faith cometh by hearing, you'll begin to believe that lie and it will be truth to you and you will be damned in the area of healing. You see how that works? Do you see how that works? This is why over and over again you have to ask yourself, I ask myself questions every year, every year. Well, I, I, I just said that because every year I go through this self thing that I put myself through. But I ask myself questions all the time. Why do you believe what you believe? First Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. You see, why do you believe in tongues? Why do you speak in tongues? Well, because they said I need to speak in tongues. Well, then you're doing it religiously, probably. Do you know what happens when you speak in tongues? Well, no, but... I'm Pentecostal, watch this. You know what I mean? It's just, when you know why you do what you do, there's power connected. Amen. But see, I'm just saying, this is why you need to study. You can't just depend, I mean, I can prod and prompt you towards something, but like I quoted in Acts 17, 11, you need to go dig it. Get a Bible, get your concordance, get your computer Bible, whatever, but look it up for yourself and see what it says. Because you need, it has to happen in your spirit. It has to happen in your spirit. Psalm 89, 34 said, My covenant will I not break. God said, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. God will not change what's come out of his lips. Isaiah 55, 11, we could go in there and read that whole passage, but this is the familiar verse. He said, So shall my word be. Remember when he talks about, Even as the snow and the rain falls from the heaven and waters the earth and causes it to bring forth in bud, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God's word is seed. Rice seed produces rice. Wheat seed produces wheat. Apple trees produce apples. Healing words produce healing. Financial words produce finances. Peace produces peace. What seed do you have in that earth of yours known as the human spirit? Because you have to understand something about earth. How many of you know that God designed earth? And God in the Bible, he collates, he, he speaks and relates to your human spirit as if it was earth. And he said, just like the earth is designed to bring forth from what's put in it. Do you understand that earth sees no difference between corn seed and marijuana seed? If you put seed in that soil, that soil will just do what it's designed to do. It will produce. It will cause a harvest to come from whatever seed that's in there. Your human spirit is like an undersoil. See what seed you have in there. That spirit of yours will produce from what you have in it in abundance. 
That's so simple. You need help to misunderstand it. And this is why we go back. I know this is so basic. Like I said, I know we taught this 20 years ago, but like I said, we're having to recapture some stuff. But the point is, you see, this is why you do have to guard your ears. You have to guard what you hear. You have to guard what you see. Because this is a gate. This is a spiritual gate. And your spirit is being filled on a daily basis with some kind of seed. You have to guard your heart, your spirit, above all that you guard. What's in there in abundance? That's why a lot of us need to pray for crop failure. You know what I mean? Because we've got so much bad seed in there, we need somebody to come and pull that stuff out. And that's what we're trying to do even right now is at least initiate a process where you begin to look at your garden and say, my God, those aren't flowers. <laughs> I mean, have you ever, you know, there are some weeds that are attractive. Yes. But they're weeds. You'll have a lot better harvest if you, and so this is what we do. We come to this stuff and, uh, and you begin to get, Oh my God, that's a weed. See, it's a wrong belief system. I didn't even know I had it. That's what I had to do over and over. And all of a sudden I realized I, was, I had this wrong belief system. See, you're, you're, you're controlled by your belief system. You're controlled by your belief system, how you believe, what you believe. What you believe, you attract. You all know that, but really know it. What you believe, you attract. And you see, we only find out what you really believe when we see you under pressure. Because it's when we see you under pressure that what happens? that it comes out of your mouth. And you see, what is in your heart in abundance is what comes out of your mouth. So when you're under pressure is when we find out what has the most space of your heart. And that's why you don't know somebody until you see them under pressure. That's what I tell young girls that are planning on getting married. Have you seen the dude under pressure? Well, no. But he likes peanut butter and I do. So they make a life decision on whether or not both people like peanut butter. Give me a break. You need to see each other under pressure. The infallible word of God, the final authority, it's faith in his will and word, not in the principle of believing. He is not a man that he should lie. He is prom Now, see, he's promised us that he'll deliver you, save you, prosper you, heal you, bless you, redeem you, sanctify you, justify you. He's promised to do that. So you need to have faith there. So it's not, are you believing? It's, have you believed? And then there's Romans 10, 6 through 10. But let me just see, I'm going to have to stop here because I can't crack that open until tonight because otherwise I'll mess up. But it's not, are you believing? But have you believed? Now again, 2 Corinthians, I've already read it, but I want to read it again. Paul said there, and he's relating to the people, like remember back in Numbers when the 12 spies went out and 10 came back with an evil report. Only two came back with a good report. But God said, God said, God said that the report the ten brought back, God's word says he called that an evil report. And have you ever really considered afresh what an evil report was? It was looking at the facts. Because it was facts. There were giants in the land. It was looking at the facts and saying the facts speak louder to me and louder to us than the fact that God said go possess the land. You hear me? See, this is what you have to comprehend. The spirit of faith, the spirit of faith is defined like this. He says, we having the same spirit of faith, we believed. And therefore we've spoken. See, I know what you believe by what you speak when you're under pressure. So don't just pawn that off as some old faith teaching about confession. It's a faith teaching about confession. <laughs> it is the truth. We have to. That's, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you become trapped by whether or not, you know, people used to take, you know, remember how when they first started teaching these things, 
And people get so legalistic and lawgivers law about, you know, the, the message of confession of mouth, you know, we'd have, like in the States, somebody would, somebody would joke and they say, oh, you turkey, you're just a bunch of turkeys. Somebody else would watch out, they may sprout wings. <laughs> but I, I wish that was the joke, but they were serious. Don't call them a turkey, you don't know what'll happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, serious, that stuff happened, didn't it? I mean, people would, you know, like, no, 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 you know, anyhow. But you see, this is what you have to learn to do. Life is full of facts. God's word is full of truth. In faith, we don't deny the facts. We choose to believe the truth. And this is why, listen to me, because we've got to close now. But listen to me. This is why, indeed, when it came to healing, what had to happen in my life was situations like this. I found out, in some cases, like the fact was that it hurt like H. But what God taught me to do is to take the truth and take truth and just like a bandage or a medicine, apply truth to the facts. Because he said this to me, like we finished the last hour, Paul said, since we look at those, since we look not at those things which are temporal, because those things that are temporal are subject to change, but we look at those things that are eternal because those things that are eternal will never change. I learned to put the truth on the facts because God said, son, he said, facts change. Truth never changes. He said, if you'll keep applying the truth to the facts, the facts will have to change because my truth will never change. Amen. So don't deny the facts, but work with truth. Father, we thank you for the truth. Amen. We thank you for the truth, Father, that is able to set our souls free. You said we were to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Lord, we just trust you that you begin to pour more life into us, that we'll become people that actually look at what you promised and receive it and let it work its work in our lives. And we will be followers of those who through faith and patience receive the promises. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.